Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. If you were to go to a rural community, uh, you would find out, especially here in America, that the center of it all, especially in earlier years, was the churches and the schools. And that's the reason you had so many little schools in in communities they identified with that school they identified with that church and that's the reason it was so hard to consolidate sometimes to to make a larger school to offer more subjects available to them and other things that people had involved because education is such a vital part of what we do when the founding of the this country was one of the things was education and it was to teach them so they could read and be knowledgeable of what was going on. And they could read the Constitution. They could read the law. They could read the Bible. So education has always been a vital part of Christians and missions. Matter of fact, when you look at the Ivy League schools, uh, many of those was started to train ministers to go and be missionaries. This is Bert Harper along with Nathan Harper. And Nathan, when I uh, hear about the history of the schools, especially the Ivy League schools, and saw the purpose for them, the first awakening, great awakening, all the things that was connected with them, education was a vital part of Christian faith and missions, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's been true from uh, the very beginning of mission work, from the apostles being sent out by Jesus to uh, the early church and all throughout all the centuries and even the more modern movements of mission work, education of uh, people building up the, you know, their base of knowledge has coincided with the spread of the gospel and the sharing of the gospel and not just a base of knowledge in everyday educational ideas like science and math, and although those are very important, and, and they did— uh, Christian missionaries did teach people in these things, but also along with that, the Word of God being taught. So you can almost trace correlation between the history of missions, Christian missions, with education, the history of of education. And it kind of flows, in a lot of ways, flows together. I remember a time when I was pastoring and, you know, homeschooling started coming in and you had Christian schools, you had the public schools, and a lot of folks, well, the what we're involved in is what everybody ought to be involved in. You know, that's right, yeah. their, their thoughts. And uh, so homeschooling back a few years ago was kind of a novel concept, they thought. And uh, I took them back to the history of our nation and the history of the Bible, and I said, if you want to know the truth, public schools, the new kid on the block. Yeah. When, when you look at reality, reality is homeschooling was the first. And then, like you said, the Christian educators, they wanted to educate their kids, and they would do that. And so 
it's been a vital part of our life. And we see it in the New Testament when Paul was writing to Timothy in his last letter that he wrote. He talked about how Timothy had been trained from a small child, didn't he? He wrote about that. Yeah, he was, uh, he was schooled in, in his home about God. And Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul's writing, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So Paul's praying continually for, for Timothy. Uh, verse 4, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'll recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. It's a legacy of, uh, of, of learning of who Jesus is and how to follow him. Now, I don't know about everybody else. I, I like some just trivia knowledge, and it's not necessarily trivia, but the way you remember Lois is the grandmother and Eunice is the mother and Timothy's the son is L-E-T, let okay. Lois, Eunice, and Timothy. I just yeah. thought I'd okay. pass that on. Okay. And if you ever get mixed up with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, you just remember General Electric Power Company. Yeah. I, I still use that one. You still use yeah. that one? <laughs> and uh, so we here, you do pass things on like that. If you remember that, that's really going to my point that we would share that with you right. in doing that, and it stayed with you. And here, Paul is saying that faith has been passed on. Christian education, in a way, is passing on the faith, isn't it? It is. I mean, if you do a study of just the idea of the concepts of education, what is education really about? Well, on a broad scale— it's about passing down the culture of a people from one generation to another. And so you're like, well, what is the culture about? Well, the, idea, the word culture in a broad concept refers to worship. Right. And so in a Christian culture, in a, in a Christian household, one generation is educating the other, passing down the worship of Yahweh, the worship of God from one generation to the other. Now, Nathan, you've experienced education in many ways, public education, homeschooling, Christian school. You've taught in a Christian school. Yep. You've homeschooled your children, yep. children in a public school. Uh, no matter where you are, you stay involved right? in the relationship. And what happens, and Josh McDowell said this so well, and, and I think it goes along with what we're talking about, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Mm. And so... When Paul is teaching this, he is saying, passing on the faith. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about that so well, about when you go on your way, when you get up, as you're walking, as you're sitting down, let this faith be real. It's not just something that you experience on a Sunday. So no matter when, do you expect, if you got your children in a Christian school, that means no responsibility at home? That doesn't mean that, no. does it? No, I mean, parents are the front line. Uh, they have the primary responsibility, not the only. There are other people uh, as a part of the church, the body of Christ, and that could include, you know, school teachers. It could include Sunday school teachers. Yeah. It could include, you know, youth ministers or, or just brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but the primary responsibility is for parents 
to uh, represent or represent Christ to their children. And it's not easy. None, don't hear us saying that because this is an expectation, and I think a biblical expectation for parents, that that means it's, you know, well, it's easy. And there's times that I've done better at fulfilling that responsibility than others. It's hard when you're busy and working all the time, and it's easy in our minds to try to put that responsibility off on somebody else. Let the pastor do it. Let the youth pastor do it. Uh, if they go to a Christian school, let the Christian school teachers do that. But we're called to make disciples of all nations, but that also includes not just our nations, not just our neighbors, but specifically it includes the next generation, the ones in our own households. And this passage doesn't stop here. You were, as we were discussing this, you talked about this education when you have this relationship it goes on further in this chapter that Paul was talking about to yeah, Timothy about some things, doesn't yeah, there's, it? Yeah, there's benefits to it. And understand what Paul, writing to Timothy, this is kind of the components of a, um, of a discipling relationship, okay? And he's reminding Timothy that I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm pulling for you. I can remember the legacy of, of love and learning of, of the Lord Jesus that you've been given. So go on from that. Use that, utilize it, and see good things happen. And remember, Paul has discipled Timothy not just as a son in the faith or a brother in Christ, but as a fellow worker. Paul's raised Timothy up to be a leader, basically a missionary in, in certain ways, pastoral. Apparently, Timothy has some pastoral giftings. And Paul was also trying to fan the flame of some evangelistic <laughs> giftings that he would encourage him to do. So look at verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Imagine a well-educated Christian young man being full of power, love, and sound judgment, sound decision-making. That's what we want to see. You know, that, what's the purpose of graduation? Just recently, 2020, a lot has been made, and it should be, of how, how difficult it has been for the class of 2020 to graduate with some not receiving any sort of graduation ceremony, any kind of recognition. You know, it's been pretty difficult. I'm thinking of three young men in my own youth group in the church where I serve, and we're trying to make it special for them. But, it's, you know, it's been hard. They've, they've dealt with it, but it's, it's not been as special as it should be. But what's the point of graduation? It's not to say, hey, I've, I've finished, you know, I finished school. It's to be well-educated. It's to go on learning and go on living. And so what if they go on living with full of power, full of love, full of sound judgment from oh, God? That would be if a educator was putting up their purpose, you know, they look for yeah. a purpose statement. <clears throat> That'd be an awesome purpose statement. Yeah. And in doing so, he finishes up, do not be ashamed, and he brings it up. That becomes a, a, a theme. Verse 12, I am not ashamed, yeah. Paul says. And even in verse 16, someone who was not ashamed of me and my chains. So what you want to do is be able to know Christ in such a real way that you're not ashamed that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, You're not ashamed to believe that the Bible 
is real and authoritative. Yeah, even if there's suffering involved in that yeah, and difficulties involved in that, which Timothy would face. We know Paul definitely faced. There's no shame in standing for Jesus and living for him. So we want you to enjoy this interview. I think you'll enjoy it under difficult circumstances of trying to educate young men and young women so they can stand in their courage, in their power, with sound judgment. Our guest today on Exploring Missions is Rochelle. And uh, we appreciate you coming in today. Thank you. And uh, originally from Michigan. Yes. But made your way north. Now, I wanted to ask you, how do you go north from Michigan? Where do you go? Let you me go to Canada. Canada. Were you from the lower part or the upper peninsula of Michigan? We were we we're from Midland, right yeah. smack dab in the center. Well, that's a good name for <laughs> it there, Rochelle. Yeah. So, uh, but Michigan is a beautiful, beautiful state. Been there two or three times and just enjoy it. Yes. But Canada is north of there and... Let me see. You've got several provinces. Which province? We're did in you... the province of Quebec. Okay. We're talking about the French and English-speaking province there, huh? It is the French-language province, It yes. is. Is English spoken there as well? Is it, is it equal, or is it just about all French? If you're in Montreal, you'll hear a lot of English. Yeah. Um, but once you move further east or outside of Montreal, it's mostly French. How, how do they do that as an official language? Does Quebec have its own official language? Is French and then the rest of Canada English? Or how does that? that just Because the rest of, of Canada is English. So I bet Quebec has its own special, unique way. Because uh, I've heard of that. It's just unique because of the French influence, isn't it? It is very unique. It's got a different culture from the rest of Canada. Um, Western Canada is much more similar to what we experience in the States, um, whereas Quebec has a, I think the first time my husband and I went, we'd say it has all of the convenience of North America with all the charm of Europe. Oh, wow. So I bet you're enjoying, God's called you there, but yes. isn't it great to enjoy where to be where God's called you? Yes, it's lovely to be it there. It is. I, I've met some people on the mission field, and they're going back to the rural area where, I mean, no running water or nothing, and they just couldn't wait to get home. And uh, so where God calls you and places you becomes home, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, we're, we're thankful you could be with us on Exploring Missions. And tell us a little bit about you and your husband's journey from Michigan. You were called as missionaries to go there, right? Um, well, we got to Quebec in a rather roundabout way. Um, we uh, were called originally to a media ministry in Niger, West Africa. Um, we went to Quebec to learn French so that we could go and work in West Africa. We went to West Africa, to Niger, for um, about 13 years. And then the Lord closed that door. Um, my husband had trained young men that were able to do the ministry that he'd been doing. And so we came back to the States and started looking for another ministry, whatever doors that the Lord would open. And we remembered our time in Quebec from learning the French language up there and knew that there was a great need. Um, French Canadians are considered by many to be the largest unreached people group in the Americas. So, okay, let's talk about the unreached people groups. We do yeah. that quite often here yeah. on Exploring Missions. We're talking about less than 2% of the population that have come into a relationship with Christ. 0.7% is the official statistic. Wow. And we found that quite mind-blowing because we'd been in a Muslim country in West Africa, and the percentage of evangelical Christians was larger in that Muslim country than it was in, in French Canada. Is it because of secularism? Is it just they've bought into a world of no church and no influence? 
I think it's a combination of two factors because Quebec was originally a very Catholic province. And I think the the abuse of power at times by the Catholic Church when um, when we went through our sexual revolution in the States in the, in the 60s and 70s, they went through what they called the Quiet Revolution, and they basically th- threw out the church, threw out the leadership of the church. And when you leave a void with nothing to fill it up, something fills it up. And so postmodern thought, secularism, um, very much filled that in. And um, th- we say that Quebec is probably 20, 25 years ahead of where the United States is in that journey. Wow. And not long ago, they decided to close some Christian schools. Is that right? How long ago did this happen? Um, Well, it's rather interesting because um, we have eight children. Um, And when we were in Quebec learning French, our son attended uh, one of the Christian schools. And they had at that point in time what was considered like public Christian schools because there were so many Catholic schools, too. They couldn't say that evangelical Christians couldn't have a public school as well. And they decided that they were going to close all of the publicly funded Christian schools. And so my son attended kindergarten that last year of those schools. Um, And then they went to that. If you were going to attend a confessional or a church-related school, it had to be a private school. And that started up École d'Ovive, or Living Water Christian School, which is where we are, started, opened its doors in 2001 with about 60 students. Okay. As a private, completely private school. 2001. Yes. 60. Okay. This is 2020. How many mm-hmm. students do they have now? Almost 400. Okay. Well, what happened? <laughs> um, well, we provide a quality education with a biblical worldview. So those that did know that and do that, they are sending their children there. Yes. So what's happened to, let me say, accommodating 60 and now accommodating 400? Is it crowded? (laughs) It's a little crowded, uh, yes. Um, We have run out of space, and so now we're um, trying to raise funds to construct another building that would be able to house the additional students. Plus, we really have a heartbeat for the community. If we construct a larger facility, we would be able to offer that to the community around us, uh, rent the gymnasium and, and have it available for athletic events and invite more people to come into the school and see a little bit about what we are and who we are. So in building, our big goal is to be a mission outreach too. Wow. And you and your husband also deal with media and church planting. Tell us a little bit about that. What's yeah. going on there as well? My husband works for an organization um, in French. It's called Aujourd'hui l'Espoir. In English, we would say Today's Hope. And they are a media-centered ministry, parachurch ministry, and they work with television, radio, internet radio, the web. And their goal is to reach French, the French-speaking world with the gospel, starting with French-speaking Canada. Is that by radio and television? Or they are on television. They, television? Um, they have a program called Living Word that's been produced for many years. Um, they've got a toll-free call line, and just over the last year, um, I believe they had over well over 300 calls. And what they do with that call line is they take people that call and have questions and then refer them to a local church directly so that the church can do the follow-up and discipleship. And we're talking about French language? Yes, it's all okay. in French. How long did it take you? I'm, I'm, I'm reverting back for a moment, and okay. I can do that. How long did it take you to master the French language? I'm far from a master of French. I can get by. I can communicate. 
I work in this school and I work in French all day long. Sometimes I forget, like we were at a restaurant the other day and I thanked the waiter in French because I'm used to being in French. But no, I'm still learning new expressions and new things every day as far as the language. Well, a little bit of disclosure. Uh, when I started college, I had to take a foreign language and I decided I'd take French. Mm -hmm. I lasted a half a semester and decided I was going to take another language. It just was, it did not flow off of my tongue as smooth as it does with yours. And I decided, I think I can go in a different direction. I admire those that learn the language. I, and I want to start there to let people know a little bit of the difficulty of missionaries learning these languages. You, you've got to do it. And you went to Quebec first to learn the language to go to Africa there. Mm -hmm. And so God had something. in. Isn't it amazing how God does that? But tell us a little bit about learning a language. Is it easier to live in a country that you have to use that language than just trying to use it? Like if you'd have learned it in Michigan, not having to use it? Oh, definitely. I mean, when you have to take your kids to the doctor and the doctor only speaks French and you need to understand um you work a lot harder at it. It's a part of your everyday life just to communicate. Um, I think it's one of the things that as Americans we don't often understand the difficulty and the challenge of living and working in a second language all day long, every day. You're exhausted. Your brain is just literally exhausted. At the same time, learning a second language has allowed me to read and study my Bible like it's a new book for the first time, too, because I see different things when I'm studying and reading in French than I never saw when I read those. It's like reading the same story that I know so well, but from a different point of view. Well, I got to ask, do you think French or think English or a combination of both? Uh, when I'm speaking and working in English, I think in English. When I'm speaking and working in French, I think in French. So you can make that transition. And sometimes I think in what we call franglais, which is a mix of the two. <laughs> and you use whatever word pops out first. Okay. Well, that is interesting because I, I do want our listeners to know, I mean, when you learn that language and you invest yourself, I want to go back one more thing that just intrigued me. Uh, your, your husband and you in Africa did your job so well that you had people to take over when you left. Isn't that part of the goal? It's not just to go there. And yes, a long time ago, most of them invested their entire lives because of the communication, because of the travel. Mm -hmm. But now you're, you're working yourself out of a position in a way, aren't you? Very much so. Part of the detail that was involved in that is we were there as missionaries. Mm -hmm. So the work that my husband did, he didn't charge any sort of an, uh, an expense or a cost for it. There was People didn't have to pay other than the cost for operating the studio. Whereas the guys that he trained were also trying to raise their families, and Niger is one of the poorest countries in the world. And so as long as we were there, people looking to make the most of their budget would continue to come to Tim and instead of going to the locally trained guys. And so we figured that the best way to stop that from happening was to remove ourselves from the scene. Yeah. I'm also a special educator. That's, that's my profession. And very much our heartbeat is to do our job well enough that we no longer are needed and that the people yeah. can continue without us. So it's my job as a teacher, too. Well, let's go back to what originally got our attention why we would invite you, and that's the school. Mm -hmm. It's difficult there since they've done that. Yes. Raising the funds have been difficult. Loans are not taking place because you're a Christian school. 
the way I understand it, and I spoke with principal of the school this morning just to make sure that I had the details clear, part of the reason we have not been able to get the funding is we have a very limited population pool as far as people that are able to contribute and to give. If you figure that the evangelical Christian community is less than 1% of the population, it's a very limited population. So even though the churches and the Christian community has been very generous, it's, it's, not, it's just a drop in the bucket for what we really need for the building project. Beyond that, part of the reason one of the banks would not loan us money is because we couldn't come up with enough working capital to begin with. But the other banks said that it was, they have some systems different in Quebec than what we have here, but you can apply for the equivalent of a government grant. And because Quebec is very much a secular society and because our school is a confessional school, the government wouldn't guarantee the loan which is needed for the bank then to be able to give the loan. And so we're caught in a situation where we have limited access to funds and we know God's going to do something because it's his school and it's his project. But we figured the best way to move forward was to let people know about what's going on and get people praying. So we need to pray for you guys that God would provide. And he may lay it on someone's heart to be a that part would, of that provision. That would be amazing because I get to work at that school every day. Yeah. And I've spent 20 years teaching and I've raised I am raising eight children, and some of the most incredible opportunities to disciple kids I've had have been through the ministry of this school. Because I, I jokingly say I'm kind of like the policeman at the school, so I get the kids when they're misbehaving. <laughs> um, when it gets difficult enough that the teachers can't deal with a situation in the classroom, I'm often the person that's called in to help kids resolve their conflicts and, and then make reparations and, and fix what they've done. And so I get to disciple kids through that whole thing from a biblical perspective. And it's often when we fail that God is able to work very powerfully in our life and to teach us a better way to, to move forward. And I get to be a part of that every single day. Every day. Well, if someone out there hears this interview and they say, wow, and they may have a connection with Canada or French-speaking people and they mm -hmm. wanted to be a part of that, is there any way they could contact you and say, hey, well, how can we help? Well, yes, we uh, we have a website and yeah, go um, ahead and give that website. Yeah, if you would, it's ecolovive.com. Now you're going to have to spell. I am. Yes. Okay, you're going to have to give the English version of that <laughs> alphabet wise. So it's e c o l e l e a u v i v e point com c o m, and if you go onto the website. There's addresses where you can contact us, and I would say write in English, and if you write in English, it will come to me or one of the people at the school that works in English, and we can direct you from there. Okay, yeah, and I'm going to give it E-C-O-L-E-L-E-A-U-V-I-V-E dot com. I'm going to do it one more time because they're rushing to get that pen and paper to write this down. <laughs> E-C-O-L-E-L-E-A-U-V-I-V-E dot com. I, I just want to say, Rochelle, it's been a joy to have you here. And we pray God would meet those needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions here today and seeing what God is doing, not just around the world, but north of us in the United States and Canada. 
God is at work. Let him work in your life. 